Uh, actually, what we're going to do, we're going to start in Mark 8, 22, and, and then jump to Mark 10, 46. So if you can turn to both, that'd be great. Um, it is pretty difficult to do, uh, to, to teach on and choose out of all the stories and all the scenes and all the pericopes of Jesus to actually settle on one. Um, but I, what I want to do this morning is kind of settle on this small scene here in Mark chapter 10. And the reason why, it's been my prayer for Reality San Francisco since before Reality in San Francisco was born. I prayed over this text, and for this text, I prayed over the church. And once we finally got to this text, we were teaching through Mark for a while, and when we got to the text, like a year or so later, I understood why. The scene is blind Bartimaeus, and uh, I'm kind of giving away the end here, but you probably know it. Blind Bartimaeus gets healed at the end of the story. Sorry. But when he gets healed, it says that he sees Jesus and then he follows Jesus. He sees him and he follows him. And, and that was my prayer for the church in San Francisco. And that was what we prayed for when we did prayer meetings here is we pray that people would see Jesus and follow Jesus, obey him, serve him, love him. And so what I want to do today is I want to read these two scenes. I want to talk about seeing and following Jesus. And it's my prayer that we would see Jesus today and that we would follow him. So let's, uh, first, let's, let me read Mark chapter 8, verse 22, to gather a little bit of context here about what Jesus is doing, what he's about. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he took, he led the blind man out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, He laid his hands on the man and asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, "Ah, okay, I see, I see men, but they look like trees walking around. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Mark 10, verse 46. And then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great, uh, uh, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, okay, just be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, hey man, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, that is our prayer that we would see Jesus in the text here, that we would see and experience the risen, living Christ and follow you, Lord. Whatever that means, whatever that means that we throw aside, whatever it means that we embrace God, we would follow Jesus. And Lord, I I want, we want nothing more than to be 
people who trust you, follow you, obey you. And we confess, God, that that's hard sometimes, that we find our identity and our place in so many other things. I pray that it would be true of every single person here that have placed their faith in Jesus, that they are followers of Christ. And that would be the truest thing about them, Lord. I pray that you would restore today. Completely restore, heal, mend. I pray that as we see Jesus, our world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory. I pray you would anoint me. I need your help desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I really love um, the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, it's, it's the, the story of Jesus. It's kind of like, it's really the unmessed with, raw, fast-paced story of Jesus. The book of Mark reads kind of like a, a, a summer action movie where it's really fast-paced. As soon as Jesus hits the scene, he proclaims that everyone needs to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then it just it flies through, um, through narrative, through what he does, what he says, um, how he heals and um, one, one commentator writes that this gospel, what it does is it plunges us right in the middle. It's from the opening paragraph, it plunges its reader into a cosmic conflict, and it careens forward. And if you want to follow the story, you better pick up the pace. And that's, this is what Mark does. I mean, if you start reading Mark, it's just so fast-paced, and it moves forward. And one of the motifs, and Mark uses a lot of motifs in, in his writing and a lot of irony. Mark loves irony. We'll see that a little bit this morning as well. One of the motifs that, that Mark uses is this motif of seeing. He really likes to, to do this. But not seeing as in seeing, seeing as in perception. Do you get what Jesus is? Do you get it? I know you see, but do you get what you're seeing? And this is the kind of the, the motif that, that Jesus, that Mark uses. I don't know if you remember back in uh, maybe the 90s uh, when I was growing up, the, the, the mall would have these... Um, framed pieces of art, if you can call it art, I don't know. And, and it was just a bunch of, it was just like the splatter of all this different stuff, and no one knew what it was. And But you could see the art, but if you had eyes to see, you can see into the art, and there's a 3D picture that would emerge. Do you guys remember that? A couple of you? And so everyone would be, I remember when it first came out, everybody would be around those mall kiosks in the middle. Everybody would be looking, and then someone would shout, I see it, I see it. And, like, we, and everyone would be mad at them. You're like, you're lying. What is it? <laughs> Well, it's a dinosaur eating something. Like, you're, you're totally lying. I don't see it. And then someone else would see it. I mean, you see the art, but do you really see the art? And this is what, how Mark writes. I mean, you see Jesus, but do you see Jesus? Do you get Jesus? Maybe you've read the Gospels. You've read it, but do you really understand who Jesus is? Do you get him? Do you perceive? Do you understand? And that is the underlying question in Mark's narrative. There's even this one place in Mark's story in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples and they forgot to bring the leftover bread. Now, Jesus had just multiplied, fed thousands, and they had leftovers. And so one of the disciples' job was, you know, lunch duty that day and to bring the leftovers for their meal. And someone forgot it. So they get into the boat and then Jesus starts to teach and he says this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, leaven was basically, you made leaven with leftover bread. And they, so they started arguing. They're like, okay, who forgot the, Jesus is mad. Someone forgot the leftover bread. It was, you're, you're on lunch duty. It was not me. I told Peter to grab it. I'm like, listen, don't give me anything. I'm like, and then they were arguing back and forth. And this is what Jesus said. Do you not yet perceive or understand having eyes 
do you not yet see? He's like, why are you guys going on about the bread? Do you guys still not get it? Who made the bread? I made the bread. Who is the bread? I am the bread. Like, do you guys, do you guys not get it? Why are you guys arguing over bread? And so this is the, the, the whole thing. There's a huge difference here between I see Jesus, but do I know, do I really understand what it means that Jesus is in my boat? I see Jesus in my life, but do you see what it means that Jesus is in your life? There's a huge difference. And the beauty is, what I love about Mark, he's not afraid to point out how dense everyone is, how no one gets it. And he's not afraid to point it out. He, he, he puts this uh, like interpretive account right in the middle of his book in Mark chapter 8, the one that we read at, at the beginning. He puts this in the middle of his book, Jesus healing this blind man in stages for a reason. I, I love this story when Jesus, he spits in this guy's eyes, which is, you know, when you're Jesus, you can be creative. So he just spit, spits in his eyes and then he, and he puts his hands over his eyes and he pulls off his hands and he says something that Jesus never says. He says, did it work? Well, of course it worked. I mean, you're Jesus, right? But he asked him, did it, did it work? And so the guy goes, yeah, 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 it, it worked. And I love how he was honest. I, well, maybe not. Um, I see men, but they look like trees walking around. Jesus was like, no, that's, that's not right. Let's do this again. So he does it again. And he pulls his, eye, his hands off again. Now what happened? His sight was restored clearly. Now, why did this happen? Was Jesus like losing his, his mojo? He's like, he's not really on it now. He's having a bad day. He's healing, but he's not there. That's not why Jesus did this. It's here as an interpretive account, an interpreta- interpretive clue on what's going on right here in the story. After the first healing of the blind man, you can't say he's blind anymore, okay? Because he's not blind anymore. He can see. But you can't say he can see either because he can't make out what he does see. So this man was, at the same time, blind but not blind. And this is exactly everyone in Mark's story. Everyone can see, but they don't really see. You read, you see Jesus, but you don't really see Jesus, And this is why Mark puts it here. This is why Jesus does it right here because the disciples see like, oh yeah, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. Yeah, I'm going to the cross. No, you're not. Like, can you see, but you don't see. And Mark is saying that everyone up to this point is seeing Jesus, but they're a bit blind. They're blind, but they're not blind. They see, but they don't get it because really nobody gets it here. Everyone's spiritually blind in Mark's story. The enemies of Jesus are, are, are blind to who Jesus is. The friends of Jesus are blind to who Jesus is. The family of Jesus is blind. Everyone is blind. Now, this is important. What this gospel narrative proves that it's not your proximity to Jesus that heals your blindness. It's not that I go to church religiously. I see Jesus. I read my Bible religiously. I see Jesus. Jesus could be right in front of you and you can still not see him. That's what, I mean, physically on earth, walking around, people saw him but didn't see him. You can go to church your whole life and call yourself a disciple and still be blind. That's what this text is saying. Everyone's spiritually blind. Okay, irony. Everyone's spiritually blind except a blind man. See the irony there? It's like everyone's blind in Mark's story except Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, who's blind, actually sees Jesus. He actually gets Jesus. He's the only one that's named out of everyone Jesus heals. He's the only one that gets a name in Mark's story. Mark is saying, listen, look at Bartimaeus. Everyone's blind in this story except the blind man. 
he sees. Now, what does Bartimaeus see? I want to consider um, this morning an unseen hope, a searching question that Jesus asks, and a new identity that Bartimaeus is given. First, an unseen hope. It says that Jesus was making its way up to Jerusalem. The way that Mark writes his story, the way that all the gospel writers write, actually the way the Bible is written, I got, I got pretty broad there, but let's focus this back in. The way that Mark writes his story is you have to pay attention to the details, okay? The, the, the wording. It says that Jesus was on his way up to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, the reason why he was going to Jerusalem, everybody knows, was to be crucified. Everyone, everyone kind of knew this, but Jesus had his mind, his heart set that way. And at this point, the momentum of Jesus was gathering, um, was actually pretty extreme. People that, uh, Mark writes, that people that followed Jesus to Jerusalem were following him that were, they were both amazed and afraid. And that's a, a really neat paradox there. They were amazed at Jesus and his power. They said that guy can do anything, but they were afraid because he was so powerful, what he had the capacity to do. It was like um, when the disciples were in a boat and there was this huge storm and they were afraid of the storm. So they were scared. But when Jesus calmed the storm, it says that they were more afraid of Jesus. They're like, wait a minute. Uh, we almost died by a storm and you just said it, told the storm to shut up. We're afraid of you. Like you have, and that's when they follow Christ, that's the kind of power he had. So they were excited to follow Jesus, but they were also afraid going, what is he going to do? He's been telling everyone, I'm actually going to Jerusalem to die. And so everyone was kind of confused because there's, uh, there's these undertones of this possible, possible clash of powers, the authority and the powers of Jerusalem and the authority and the powers of Jesus. And so as they pass through Jericho, which is 12 miles east of Jerusalem, at the end of town, there was a blind beggar, a blind man named Bartimaeus. Now, we don't know how Bartimaeus came to know about Jesus and believe in Jesus for a healing. It certainly wasn't because Bartimaeus saw Jesus with his eyes. It wasn't because he saw Jesus perform miracles firsthand. Bartimaeus was completely blind. He was reduced to poverty and begging, probably due to his condition. He couldn't do anything else. He was at the edge of town beside the road, on the roadside, which is a very, again, a very important interpretive clue. He was on the side of the road, begging, as Jesus was making his way on the road to Jerusalem. Now, he had a cloak, and we, we were told about this cloak. This cloak, what he'd do is um, beggars would lay out their cloak. It would be kind of like the equivalent of an empty coffee, um, coffee cup that homeless people use to gather change. They'd just hold it out, and you'd throw change in their cup. Their cloak would be the same thing. They would lay out their cloak. People would throw change on their cloak. But at night, this cloak also kept them warm. So this was everything to them. This was everything to Bartimaeus. His cloak, he would lay out his cloak, and he would beg by the roadside. Now, Bartimaeus couldn't see, obviously, being blind. He would, when, when you're blind, your other senses begin to get heightened. And one of the things that um, Bartimaeus probably, blind people, people that were born blind or are blind love is story, imagination. And so that, so he heard about Jesus, not by seeing, but by hearing. And so somebody would pass Bartimaeus on the road and, and like, do you have any change? I don't have change. Do you have a story? And he would gather stories, and people would tell stories. And then as people would go through, through Jericho, they would begin to tell stories of a new rabbi that's on the scene. 
This rabbi has powers that no one has ever seen before. He teaches with one that has authority. He's teaching in a synagogue one time, and this demoniac man stands up and begins to yell at Jesus. And Jesus tells this man to sit down and shut up. And the demon comes out of this man, and he's restored to his right mind, and Jesus goes on preaching. And Bartimaeus would hear this, like, really? And then there'd be stories of him as he would heal a paralytic and this paralytic would be dropped through the roof and hit the ground. And everybody was stunned and quiet. And Jesus, like, he forgives them of his sins. And then the, and the Pharisees, like, who are you to forgive sins? He's like, what is it easier to say, that your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? Want me to prove that his sins are forgiven? Hey, take up your mat and walk. And he does. And he leaves. And Bartimaeus is like, no way. I mean, it's like gathering all these stories of Jesus, how he healed this man with leprosy and his skin was returned like a newborn baby's skin. And he would gather all of these stories how Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. And then the news came. Probably one afternoon by somebody passing through Jericho came with a new story of Jesus. Jesus just healed a man who was born blind. And this never has happened before. And I can imagine as Bartimaeus is there collecting, begging, as he heard that, his heart leapt in his chest as he thought, wait a second, there's hope? Like, you just, wait, say that again. He healed someone born blind? Yes, healed him born blind. Like, he, he wasn't supposed to say anything, but he kind of did. Jesus said, don't tell anybody, but he did anyway. He spit in his eyes, he, he healed him. This has never been done before. And from then on, Whenever anyone would come through with the story of Jesus, Bartimaeus would pull them inside and say, tell me again how he healed the blind man. Tell me that story again. I, I would imagine probably like you, you probably would never grow old of that story. Yeah. Tell me again. Tell me again. I can imagine Bartimaeus there with the biggest grin on his weathered face as he heard the story again and taking in again and again and again. Now it says that when he called out to Jesus, he called out to him very formally. Son of David, have mercy on me. Actually, that was a, a, a repeat of, of, a, of a Psalm 123, which is a song of ascent, what they would probably sing on their way up to Jerusalem. I mean, he used very specific language in asking Jesus to heal him. Somehow, someway in Bartimaeus' heart, he come to believe in Jesus. He's probably going over and over the stories again and again and again. And in one moment, he goes, wait a second. Jesus wasn't just a man. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a great teacher. He's Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the promised savior. And according to what would happen next, Bartimaeus would also perceive on what this savior required. Charles Spurgeon once noted that when something like this happened in Bartimaeus' heart, where he, he was wrestling with who Jesus was through story, having never met Jesus, Bartimaeus was a disciple of Jesus. Bartimaeus was there begging every day, still had come to love Jesus sight unseen. He believed with everything inside of him, even though he had never seen Jesus, that Jesus was the promised restorer and deliverer and redeemer. At this point, and, um, and this is actually Mark's whole point, the whole time people have seen Jesus, but they haven't seen Jesus. And blind Bartimaeus has never seen Jesus, but he sees Jesus. 
he perceives who he is. He believes without seeing. He falls in love with Jesus, but he has never ever seen his face yet. The disciple Peter, who is you know, notorious for putting his foot in his mouth throughout the Gospels, gets it right in 1 Peter when he says this. And this might be something you struggle with. Like, okay, okay, okay. I, 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 I'm gathering stories. Maybe you've, you've been to church quite a bit and you've heard stories of what Jesus has done, people's testimonies. Like, Jesus does that? He could do that? He, and, and, it, and it's all to you, just story now. He's capable of this. He can do this. And the, and the hurdle that you have is like, but, but can he do it with me? Can he restore me? Can he redeem me? Can he forgive me? And you're like, I won't believe until I see it. First Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We don't see Jesus, but we can see Jesus through the eyes of faith. And this is exactly the eyes that Bartimaeus was given, the eyes of faith. This unseen hope of this blind man, he believes in Jesus without seeing, and what happens is he sees Jesus once he believes. Next, what Jesus does is he asks Bartimaeus this very searching question. It says that when Jesus and this huge crowd reached the edge of town and was exiting Jericho, Bartimaeus saw his chance, okay? Bartimaeus saw his chance. He gets like one in a lifetime chance here. He, he, he hears the crowd, he hears the crowd, he hears the murmurings of, okay, Jesus is coming, it's Jesus, and he's coming through. And just as Jesus is just about right there, he starts to shout and yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He was calling out like this crazy fan, like a, like a Justin Bieber fan or something, like just going insane because Jesus was like right in front of him. It was like, this is like one of my friends, my best friend, I have a, a sliver of a chance to see him. And so he starts to cry out and shout, and shout. And everyone, to all the disciples, the people following, like, blind guy, be quiet. Calm down. I mean, there's already enough commotion surrounding Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem. We don't need your voice. Calm down. Stop yelling. What does he do? He shouts even louder, okay? He's like, you're not going to shut me up. Here I go. And he starts yelling louder and louder, and they're telling him to be quiet, and he's shouting louder. Shut up, louder, shut up, louder. And he keeps doing this until Jesus stops. It says he literally stood still, and he said, call him. It's kind of crazy because the, the crowds here are pretty fickle. They would go from shut up to be of good cheer, man. Hop up. He wants to see you. Come on, dust off. Oh, come on, come on. Like immediately like that, they just turn. They're like, buddy, how are you? Good to see you. Give me a hug. Jesus, I brought, look at this guy I brought you, you know? They just switch, they turn like that. And all of a sudden, there's best buddy. They call him, they get up, man, take heart. Get up, he's calling you. And so they bring Bartimaeus. As Bartimaeus stood before Jesus, Jesus asked him a question that might sound a bit insensitive. So here's a blind man standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus is like, what would you like me to do for you? Everyone around is going, really? I mean, I know that question. I know the answer to that. <laughs> like, what, how... How do you not? He's blind, maybe. I mean, I think it'd be funny if, the blind, if Barnabas was like, can I get a denarii? Or that would have been great, but he doesn't. He, he knows. Now, this question might sound insensitive because you're like, how insensitive of you to ask a blind man what he wants? 
actually this question is used throughout Mark's story to reveal someone's true motives. What do you, what do you really want? I mean, a lot of you guys probably got up today, got dressed, whatever, came to church, probably wanted something. Might have wanted something from God, wanted something from the church, wanted something from the worship, wanted something from the guest speaker. Like you want, you come to church like you want something. And this is, this is a very searching question. The first time it was used, it was used when John the Baptist was in prison by King Herod. And one, he threw one of these lavish parties. And John the Baptist was in prison because he was speaking out against King Herod and this wife, that his new wife. So imprisoned, King Herod throws this lavish parties where one of his, a girl, this young girl danced for him. And this young, he was so impressed by this young girl's dancing and he was probably a little drunk. He said to her, what do you want me to do for you, girl? He said, up to half my kingdom. What do you want me to do for you? And she responded, I want revenge. I want revenge because John the Baptist had made a public embarrassment of my family. So I want his head on a platter. That's what I want. It was a searching question. When that question came up, it searched her heart. And what came out of her heart was revenge and malice. In chapter 10, James and John go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? There's that question again. What do you want me to do for you? And they responded, we want power. When you go into your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in glory? I mean, we deserve it. And we'll look good on your right hand and your left. We want your ear. We want your power. We want your authority. We want your right hand and left hand. We want to be great. We want acclaim. We want influence. That's what we want, Jesus. See, this question isn't just like, what do you want me to do for you? It's a searching question. It searches the motives of your heart. What do you want God to do for you? And it searches the deepest parts of your heart. The last time this question is used in Mark's gospel is by Pilate the Roman governor who was in Jerusalem to keep peace during Passover. And after Jesus is betrayed and arrested and goes through a false trial, he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate can't find any reason to kill Jesus. In this very infamous scene, he brings Jesus before Jerusalem, and he asks Jerusalem, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do with Jesus? And they responded, kill him crucify him. And it says, but Pilate asked again in chapter 15. Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. See, this question is not as simple as what do you want? It's a loaded question. In Mark's story, it's a loaded question. It's a question that's supposed to expose the heart, bringing to surface people's true motives and their values. What, is you, what do you truly want to do? What do you want? Perhaps the same question could be used and bring to the surface our motives. What is your motives? The answer can reveal whether you want to be healed of blindness, or you selfishly want to use God to do your own bidding and fulfill your own desires. It's a heart-searching question. What do you want? Let me ask you this. What do you think about most often? What consumes your mind? 
What consumes your resting mind? You might, if you were given a chance, you might want to settle a score. You might want revenge in some sort of way. I mean, of course, this would never come up. You would never say this out loud, and this wouldn't be a prayer request. You're like, how can I pray for you? I really want revenge. So if you can pray that I can get revenge in the next week so I don't have to think about this anymore, that'd be awesome. Like, no one would ever say that, but check this out. Because, you know, like, that's, that's what, you don't do that around church. You know that. You're like, I'm not supposed to say those prayer requests at church. It's like, I, I want to do revenge, but uh, help me. I don't want, you know, like, you know what to say. But it, what do you meditate on? That's truly your prayer requests. What do you think about most often? Maybe revenge has consumed your mind and bitterness has consumed your heart. And that's really what you want more than anything. So given your chance, you just might take your pound of flesh. When, when that, that opportunity comes across, you might just take your pound of flesh. Some of us want power. We want to make a name for ourselves. We think about being the big next actor or the big name singer or the big name pastor. Like, I want to make a name for myself. And that's what I think about over and over and over again. Again, this is not what you're praying about when you're officially praying, but it's the meditation of your heart, which is pretty much the same thing. So when Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? It's this sort of question. What is the meditation of your heart? And what, did, what was the meditation of Barnabas' heart? He said, I just want to see. He didn't ask to be superhuman. You almost might, like, if you were Barnabas, you're like, x-ray vision, maybe. <laughs> Something like, I want to see into the future. Barnabas didn't want to be superhuman. He just wanted to be human. He's like, I just want to see. Restore my sight. But here's the other searching question. Why did Barnabas want to see? Why did he want to see? Did he want to see so he can get a job and pull himself out of poverty and make a name for himself? I want to see. Why do you want to see? I want to see so I can go get a job and then I get that house that I always wanted and the stuff. I want, I want all that stuff. God, please do this for me so I can get this. Do this for me so I can get a good job and support my family and have a great family, have this and that and this and this. So what is it that you really want then? I just want those things. And Jesus becomes a way I get those things. Why did he want to see? So he could chase the girl he's always been in love with. He smells her every day as she walks by. Like, there's this girl. I'll, I'll find, I mean, it would make a good movie. He just follows his nose and finds her and he sees her and she's beautiful. And... Why did Bartimaeus want to see? This is why Bartimaeus wanted to see. He wanted to see so he can follow Jesus. That's why he wanted to see. There's something in, I don't know, in Bartimaeus' heart. He's like, I, I've fallen in love with this, the stories of Christ. And I want to see because I want to follow you. And this is at the point where, my favorite part where Bartimaeus gets a new identity. Verse 52, it says, Jesus said to him, go your way. Okay, that's framed. That's framed a certain way. Go your way, Bartimaeus. Go do whatever it is that you want to do. Your faith has made you well. Well done. You believed in me. You trusted in me. Well done. Go your way. You can see now. Go do what you've always wanted to do, Bartimaeus. I mean, you can go see the world now. You could clean yourself up. Maybe go take a shower. You're redeemed. The world is your oyster. It's full of potential. Go and have it. A friend of mine, you, a lot of you guys know him really well. His name is Tarek. 
and he was here for a very long time, and he moved up to San Francisco to help start the church. He's now a pastor on staff at, at, at Reality in San Francisco. And Tark has a pretty crazy past. It's really fun if you can re- read about his pastor, list, um, hear him talk about it. A pretty insane past. He was delivered and redeemed by Jesus at age 32 at a Christian rehab center. Before that, he was in prison. Long story, I don't have time, but prison, rehab, saved. Okay, that's nutshell of Tark's story. And so he gets saved, and the way that he describes coming to Christ is that when he found, when Jesus found him, and he found the love of God, he, he said he grabbed onto Jesus and he didn't ever want to let go. That's how he describes it. It was like, I was lost, and then Christ found me, and I like grabbed on, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to let go, ever. It's like the safe, this is my hiding place, this is my safe place. I mean, Tarek, after he finished um, prison and rehab, he was very well educated, he was very smart and resourceful, he had done his time, he had a clean conscience, now that he was saved, he could have done anything. The world was full of potential for him. You know what he did after his time in rehab? Stayed there. He stayed there. And you know why he says, he's like, because I know the darkness that I'm capable of out there, so I'm going to stay here for a while. For him, being very young in Christ, this rehab center was where he thought Jesus was. And this is where I've come to know peace and joy. I want to stay here, and I don't ever want to let Christ go. I, I want him to be more real in my life, and I'm so afraid of what can happen out there and what might, that might mean right now. So he stayed there. He even tells us one story where he, the first time he left this little place that he was at. He had a truck and he went and buy some clothes and stuff. On his way back, he got lost. It's in the hills. It was at night and he was afraid. He he said he starts feeling this same lost feeling he felt years ago. And then he turned the corner and he saw the cross on the hill that was illuminated um, from the Christian rehab place. And he says his heart like leapt. He's like, I'm home. I'll never, ever leave Christ, ever. See, he could have done anything. He stayed there, but then... God sent him out, and he was here, and you guys know him, and now he's in crazy San Francisco, serving Jesus there. And the same thing, his heart's the same place. I don't ever, ever want to let Christ go. I want to hold fast to him. Bartimaeus could have done anything with his new eyes, anything. The world was full of potential. You know what he did? Verse 52, Jesus said to him, go your way. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed Jesus on the way. So we, um, when I was here, we did this, uh, um, every church planner does like this little class they do, and it's really fun, and I did one here, and it was on Bible uh, interpretation, and one of the things that we talked about was observing the text, and there's clues in the text, and words that connect, and it just brings to life all these things in the text, and let's do that now, class. Um, so you see here, it says, go your way. He could have went any way he wanted to, but then he went the way of Jesus. What way did he choose to go? to follow Jesus on the way. He decided to go Christ's way, to follow Jesus. See, Bartimaeus didn't just want to see. He wanted to see Jesus, whom he had fallen in love with. And he didn't just want to see Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus. And no matter what that meant, even if it meant going uphill to Jerusalem, to his death, to Jesus' death, he still wanted to follow Jesus. See, when Jesus calls Bartimaeus, It says in verse 50, he he sprang up. I love that, like a kid, okay? He's like springs up, 
He starts skipping over to Jesus. He's so excited. And also says that he threw off his cloak. He threw aside, he, he stood up, he threw aside his cloak. Bartimaeus' cloak was Bartimaeus' identity. And you might not think that's the case. It is the case. At night, he used his cloak to keep him warm. And during the day, it was, he, he, he lied out his cloak to, to gather change. It was a beggar's cloak. It was his identity. It was his little binky. It was just like a little blanket. It was his security. It was his support and his comfort and his identity. And he threw it all aside to follow Jesus. He is no longer, listen, he is no longer blind begging Bartimaeus. He's just Bartimaeus, the follower of Jesus. See how Mark writes, and in Jericho there is Bartimaeus, comma, blind beggar. Now he's Bartimaeus, comma, follower of Jesus. See, when we trust in Christ, when you place your faith in Jesus, the truest thing about us becomes our identity in Christ. That's the truest thing about you. Like, you need to, you need, need to understand that. That's, I mean, the New Testament, the language just shifts in the New Testament. Like, when you're in Christ, everything's new. Learn your place in Christ. Know your place in Christ. You're no longer so-and-so the sexually abused. You're no longer so-and-so the person from a broken home. You're no longer so-and-so the unemployed you are not your career, you are not your conflicting desires, you're not your disabilities, you're not your shortcomings, you're not your successes, you are Christ's. And you have to understand, you have to find your place there. See, everyone in here, you have an identity. Oftentimes, this identity is due to your blindness. And you find your identity in the things that you do. And this is easy to do, because what you do at your job, you do most of your life. You're your job. That's how you define yourself. I am my job. I am my art. I am a mom or dad. I am my career. And that's what you think the true thing, thing about you is. Some of us, we find our identity in what we have, our money, our looks even. Like you're always so-and-so, the really cute one, the hot one, whatever. And that's a lot of people find their identity there. Or it could be negative. I'm so-and-so, the person that doesn't have this and doesn't have that. I'm I'm the person who's blind, from a broken home, some disability, and that's used to define you. That's used to, like, keep you down. That's used to, to like, this is who you are. Some of us find our identity, and I, and I come in contact with this a lot, by what, they, what you desire. I am what I desire. I am what I want. So, a lot of people here form a sexual identity around this. I desire this, so I'm that. I desire this now, so I must be this. I desire both, so I must be this. And when they find their identity in what they want, see, everyone in here, you're, you're shaping, you're forming your identity around these things, but here's the problem. All of them keep moving. All, you, you could be unemployed. You can lose a, a, a child. You can lose your money. You can lose your looks. You're probably going to lose your looks. You can lose your sight. You can lose your home. You can lose anything. Everything that we, we tend to find an identity in, we can lose. And you're blind. You don't see that Christ is your life. And that's why you've shaped your identity around these things. And our, our call is to find our identity in Christ and make that be the truest thing about us. That we're no longer defined by these things. Here's our definition. I belong to Christ. And Christ is my life. 
See, Bartimaeus encountered Jesus' power not on the basis of his strength, but in the context of his weakness. It was like the door, the open door, that he actually saw Christ in the context of his weakness. Some of you guys, I know that it's just, I'm not going to come to Christ. I'm not going to go up for the, on the prayer team. I'm not going to go up to the carpets because like, I'll give Christ this thing, but I'm really weak here. I don't, I don't really want to confess that. It says that Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak, every single thing that would define him. Now he has a new life, a new definition. There's no other way to come to Christ but on the basis of our need and Jesus' adequacy to fully meet our need. It says that Bartimaeus went from, remember I told you to remember this, beside the road begging to on the way following. He went from beside the road to on the road following Jesus. Now, where was Jesus going? It says that he was going on the way, which is Mark's idiom meaning the cross. Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus was going to the way of sacrifice. Jesus was going to the cross to absorb Bartimaeus' darkness, to absorb our darkness, to absorb our sin, our debt. It, the cross in Mark's narrative is Mark putting Jesus on full display. Up to, up, to the, up to the point of the cross in Mark, Jesus is always telling everyone, don't tell a soul. Don't say anything. You ever notice that? Like, it's called the secret messianic motif. It's like, okay, which is a really cool name. Like, don't tell anyone anything. I healed you, Kate. Don't tell, don't tell anyone. And you're like, why doesn't Jesus want everyone to know? This is why. You don't really see Jesus clearly until you see him on the cross. You don't really know what he's capable of until you see him on the cross, dying for your sin, absorbing your false identities, absorbing your sin, that we can get his life now. We can get his joy. We can get what he's earned on the cross. It's, it's imputed to us. It's given to us. And so you must, you must come to Christ on the basis of weakness, and you must see Christ and follow Christ on the road, on the way, on the way to, in Mark's here, in narrative here, on the way where he would die in our place for our sins, to bring us into the presence of God. Let's do that. Lord, I thank you so much for the story we see your truth and your light and what you've done through this story. And I pray, God, that we would... I pray for people here this morning who have gathered stories about you, who have heard stories at church from friends about Jesus. And it's all story. It's all secondhand until they hear your voice calling them, come. I pray they would hear your voice this morning, God, that you give them faith to spring up and follow you. Lord, I pray, God, that, that we would lay aside our ways that we've tried to find identities, ways that we've tried to hide from you, and those stories about you would be true. And they'd be personal. And we apply them to our own heart. I pray, God, that we'd follow you. I ask, God, that where we need to repent, we would repent. Where we need to turn to Christ, we would turn. And you would restore. In Jesus' name, amen.